Greetings and welcome to another episode of Artsy AF Podcast. My name is Andrew Norris, and thank you for being here. My guest this week is Autumn Sky. Autumn is a painter living in British Columbia. Her work is focused around the figure and its interaction with nature. Some would call it visionary art. I would probably call it that. Very beautiful work that is like a breath of fresh air to look at. In this episode, we talk about Autumn's process in making those types of images, how she feels into what the image is going to be, very intuitive style of making paintings. Autumn talks about her backstory growing up on a, I believe it was a blueberry and maple syrup farm, and working a job since she was 12 years old, giving her lots of life experience and when she figured out she was going to be an artist, which is pretty early in the scheme of things. And we get into self-care a lot in this one, which I think is a uh, very evergreen topic for anyone in the creative fields. You gotta take care of that body, take care of your mind. Always an important topic, especially with the flood of technology and information that we're all living in these days. It's good to take a minute and remember to be present. And I know that that's a cliche there, but we get into a lot more than just that in this episode. So it's going to be a good one. Hope you're ready for it. I do have some shout outs this week for my newest Patreon subscribers. Big shouts to Threda Art Collective. And I'm assuming it's Peter, Peter Westerman being uh, the newest Patreon member. Thank you, Pete. And thank you all. It's always nice to have support from artists. And I think that if I had to check, if I had to guess, probably about 95% of the people subscribed to the Patreon are artists, which would make sense. And find it very generous, helpful, and very thankful to all of y'all. And my second newest Patreon subscriber this week is Ned Oliver. Ned sent me a nice message the other day. Really appreciate that, Ned, and I'm glad you're uh, you're getting inspired from this show. It's really awesome. You can find Ned at Neebly. I'll put that link in the description. And of course, you can find Peter and Threda at Threda on the gram and on the socials on the internet and uh you know presumably one day in the web 3.0 metaverse not that meta facebook crap that they're trying to push anyway i digress let's get into this episode this has been a really long intro here is autumn sky Autumn, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's really an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, yeah, great to see you. And um, it, it's it's nice that we are afforded this technology to be able to uh, communicate over such a long distance. Um, yes. So usually, how I start these, kick these things off, is um, I'll ask, I want to. I'm always curious about like your origin story, and how your life was growing up, whether or not you were a weird kid, things like <laughs> things like that. 
So, so what can you tell us about your backstory? You can make it as long or as short as you, as you'd like. Okay. Well, I'd say I'm still a weird kid. Um, Same. <laughs> but yeah, I grew up, um, I was born in Nova Scotia on the East coast and, uh, on a maple syrup and blueberry farm <laughs> and off the grid completely, um, uh, of a very creative and, uh, different family. I just, um, I always used to think, oh, my parents are so weird. And now I look back and I'm like, my parents are so cool. Yeah. Really just, um, pioneers, uh, artists and, um, sort of do it yourself kind of people. Uh, so I, we moved all across Canada as my parents split up. Uh, we, Spent time in Ontario and Alberta and lots of time in the Rockies in Yoho National Park and Canadian Rockies. And then my mom settled on the coast here and all the while driving across the country numerous times, which really I feel opened my eyes to the wonder of the natural world and also just the way that civilization rolls with the countryside and it changes and subtly adapts and how people are slightly different, but still the same. And I remember studying faces as a very young child, like looking at people and trying to figure out what makes us different and what makes us the same. And everybody has a nose that's basically a nose shape and eyes that are basically eye shapes. And we all smile in a smile shape. And why are we different? And why are we the same? And so it was really, I, I remember being fascinated by people being fascinated by nature. Mm -hmm. um, and because my family was quite creative, uh, there's a lot of music and art in my family. Uh, I was always supported to make art from my various, my, my very, <laughs> very earliest memories, yeah. various. Yeah. From my earliest memories, I can remember just having this deep knowing of what I was here to do. Mm -hmm. And my mom says before I could talk or walk, I was making pictures. Really? And just really, they weren't good, mind you. <laughs> I don't know that I was exceptionally <laughs> gifted in uh, like some sort of divine prodigy yeah. of art, but I was always, always supported. And so that's where my focus lie. Nice. And, and I'd say that that's the biggest blessing of my life is that I was never told not to make art. I just was encouraged. I was, we didn't have much money, but mm -hmm. there was always art supplies for me. I was never told to stop wasting paper. I was always enabled and encouraged in that, in that way. And as I grew and went to school and then into high school, it was always sort of recognized that, Oh, sky, she's the, she's the artist. Mm -hmm. And people would, look to me for that and admire that and compliment it and opportunities would open because of it. And my arts, my high school art teacher was very supportive. He just set my grade at 98% and said, do whatever you want because I, he knew that I would do more with less structure. And, um, and it was just amazing to feel that support and feel those doors open. And yeah, I remember sitting in kindergarten like vividly sitting there probably the first week of kindergarten and the teacher sort of running through the like, blah, 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 this is how it's going to go. Mm -hmm. So by the time you finish high school, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what your career will be. And then you'll go to college or university. You'll get your career. 
or trade school. And then you work until you're 65 and then you retire. And then, then you can probably do what you want to do if you want to have a hobby or a craft. And I remember just freaking out inside of like, no, yeah, yeah, that's wrong. Like, how can, Isn't... how can you be saying that to us? We're, we're just kids and right. that's a terrible deal. Yeah. And so I, I'm grateful that I never bought into that. And I was never in a family that pushed me into that of like, oh, you got to get a real job. That's awesome. My family was full of artists um, and musicians. And so it was very viable. Yeah. Totally understandable. Like, oh, you want to be an artist? Cool. And it just to me, I always, I was that. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, when I grew up, I'm going to be an artist. It was just like, no, I'm here to make art. That's what I'm doing. Onward. That's so awesome. That's really cool. Like there's a couple things I want to talk about from that. First of all, the the thing where like adults I don't I know that they know that or they don't know that they're doing this. But when they sort of project onto especially someone in a teaching situation, they sort of project whatever programming they have onto the kids that they're teaching or that they they're watching over. And it, I just find that weird because I never knew that that was the case until I was much older, like a full grown adult myself. I was like, Oh, every, like not everyone, but I'd say many people do that often. Right. Like, Oh yeah. They're like this is how it is. And I'm just going to keep repeating it because that's how I've been told it is. And so therefore that must be how it is because there's a consensus and we all want to do this yeah. thing. And, um, and I think it's really and cool. And they're in a position of, yeah. sorry. No, go for it. They're in a position of authority. So we're like, oh, okay, that's how it is. Yeah. Right. I believed adults, like just random adults, up until I was like 15 or 16. I was like, they must know more. They're older. And, and uh, it's just weird how like, like you and I have very different sort of paths towards the same, same thing that we're doing. And we're making different art, obviously, but it's, it, I just find it endlessly fascinating about people's backgrounds and, and, um, what led them to, you know, to be, to be themselves, to be that creator that, that they, they have inside them. And it seems like you were just kind of born that way. Plus you had really rad parents. Do you remember ever like deciding like, okay, you may have already answered this, but were you like, I am, I am going to be a painter or was it, did you ever have any other interests at all? Uh, I have a lot of interests actually. Yeah. There was music. has always been a big part of my life, mm -hmm. singing and writing, writing songs and playing guitar. Um, I've always loved to cook and sew, and I've produced many events and been a community gatherer. And um, yeah, so and I like sculpture. I like yeah, a lot of different <laughs> different things. I make jewelry. Gotcha. Um, so I think in high school, actually, I thought, you know, I was like, okay, if I want to be strategic here about a career, um, I music is almost as big of a passion as art. So maybe I should go into music. old and frumpy, I'll become an artist. So that was sort of, it seemed like maybe 
that was going to be a timeline that I would, um, that would be logical to me mm-hmm. um, and make sense as far as industry standards. Right. Uh, but it just sort of didn't happen like that. I thought, oh, maybe I'll go to, go to Japan and be a lounge singer and sing jazz standards for 10 years and then I can re- retire or something <laughs> like that. Or I'll try to get a record deal or something like that. But it just, art always just made its way forward in my priority. And um, I did one year of art college and um, and then thought it wasn't for me at all. It just seemed so silly. And so I um, end up, ended up instead painting sets for movies and Broadway for a year oh, nice. and learned so much there as far as efficiency and effective painting strategies. Um, and then just started traveling. I opened a restaurant for a few years. Really? Um, How, okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, actually, since I was 12 ish, uh-huh. I've, I always wanted to have a restaurant. Yeah. And, uh, my poor friend Tessa, she would be like, come over, maybe we're going to build a fort or do something cool. Or, and I'm like, do you want to play restaurant? <laughs> and I would like have floor plans drawn up and we would design the menu and I'd cook lunch. And, and uh, so I always sort of had this idea in my mind of it'd be cool to have a restaurant. Yeah. And after traveling for a few years, I came back to BC for a summer and, uh, met a man who became my partner at the time and his friend who were just who had just moved to the little town where I went to high school here, Powell River. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he was like, oh, yeah, me and my friend Corey were just going to open a little music and arts cafe. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I got lots of ideas about that. Mm-hmm. And then a month later, they asked me to be a partner. And so the three of us, I was sort of that missing key of the aesthetics. They had sort of like the books on one side and then the music on the other side. And they didn't have any idea how restaurants actually ran. And I'd worked in uh, as a server for 12 years um, and bartended and done events. And so it it really made sense. And so we had that for almost four years and it was great. It was, uh, we grew a lot of our own produce. We had movie nights and poetry nights and live open mic nights and DJ nights and bands and we catered and we did lots of crazy stuff. It was sort of, I consider it like it cost the same amount as university. I learned way more and, uh, and I had way more fun and it helped the community in lots of ways too. So it's, uh, you know, you don't go into restaurants to make money by any means. Um, but it was a good experience and, uh, it had, had its ups and downs. And throughout that time, actually, the, one of the big blessings of it, uh, besides the ripple effect in the community um, of just creative empowerment and um, and gathering, was that I had these walls that needed art on them. And yeah. there were dips in how busy we were. So I was able to just paint when I would just paint in the restaurant when I wasn't working or when there wasn't many people in the restaurant this is so in between serving tables this is like a mural style thing you're painting on the walls uh no i was painting on canvases and then hanging them and so i was learning about um about exhibition about uh how to talk about my art how to give and receive criticism and feedback and uh you know people would come in they didn't know i was the artist so i'd get to hear these sort of uncensored um opinions and um, and then also bringing other artists in. So it really showed me a lot about 
how to hang art and how to, it was in a way an art gallery, um, which was great. And throughout those four years, my art continued to sustain me and actually support the cafe as well. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it really, by opening the restaurant, I quit my bartending job. It sort of forced me into this, this free fall surrender into my art business without realizing it. Um, and then a couple of years went by before I realized that, wow, I've been supporting myself and my partner and this business all on my art. And then once I rid myself of the, the other two, then uh, <laughs> I was able to travel and, and just thrive more and more from my art. So about how old were you when, when all this was happening? Like I was 21, 21 when I opened the cafe. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's epic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow, 21. That's like, I was just a wee baby, but I guess. <laughs> well, you had, you had your focus right, it seems like. You had that correct. You were looking the right way, you know, and, and I, I mean, it, it may be, it may have to do with your upbringing in terms of like just sort of learning how to live off the land, it sounds like right? That's, mm -hmm. that's how you grew up. I think a lot of it too, um, is I had a lot of work experience at that point because our family didn't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, as of 12, every summer I worked full time and I started waitressing when I was 12, just sort yeah. of under the table because I, luckily I, you know, I same height since I was 12 years old and wow. I appeared older and was more mature than maybe a lot of 12 year olds. And so I just, I worked and I hustled for it. And because I, if I wanted cool new clothes or CDs, I had an epic CD collection and, or new art supplies, I had to buy those myself. And so it motivated me art, um, to, to work meant freedom. And yeah. so then once I got a car too, it was just like, freedom. And so by the time I, I was, um, in, in the restaurant, once, once I opened my own at that point, I had already been serving for 10 years and I had a lot of experience wow. around working. I knew what work, work ethic was. And yeah. So. Do, you, do you think that like our cultural standard in terms of, of like, it might be different per individual but do you think our cultural standard of like you can't work until you're at least 16 years old do you think that that's a little off i mean i know it's it's good for some jobs because like obviously you don't want little boys going out trying to do like crazy manual labor or like going off on a like fishing expedition or anything like that but um wait what are your thoughts on that just curious hmm. That's a good question. I'd say it's sort of a mix, really, because on one hand, I think kids should just be kids and be intuitive, creative beings as long as possible. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, um, I think that it's good to work a number of different jobs before you spend $50,000 on college or university and get in debt for a career that you might not even want. Um, so I think work experience is vital to sort of learning about ourselves and learning about an industry that we may or may not want to be a part of. Yeah. Um, also, I feel like, you know, there's so much emphasis put on working and jobs and, and so it's wrapped up in capitalism mm -hmm. and the 
further enslavement of the Western world um, or the world at large. Yeah. So it's mixed. It's sort of like a, an apple or the egg or, that, <laughs> or it's sort of a, a chicken or the egg yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Is, um, is what, you know, we've created a system, so we need to work, but is that really our truest essence? Is that really right. our highest priority is like being having job security right, right. Um, it's it is but why and is it necessary i don't know right. so yeah i think i think having kids have the opportunity to play at different careers is yeah. really important and opportunities for that in a safe environment um i have a couple friends who were unschooled so like beyond homeschool, right? Where it's just like, oh, you're interested in horses? Okay, here's horseback riding lessons. Oh, you're interested in mechanics? Okay, help dad rebuild the car yeah. or like that kind of thing. And these two people are literally the smartest people I know. Yeah. Like genius, know so much about so many different things, have experienced and traveled and and you know, done things and worked many jobs. So there's something to that rather than just like learning to sit down and shut up and yeah, be educated so you can work in a factory or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And that's why, that's why the modern like schooling system was created to sort of get people accustomed to going to a factory job. Right. Like yeah. in terms of like the industrial revolution that's what the people who created the modern public schooling uh, system had in mind it was like, Oh, we need these people to like be able to run things yeah. in this factory. Um, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, so much to bells. Yeah. 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 But I, I, that's, that's kind of what sparked it is like you had all this experience as like uh, a young preteen and teenager. And I think a lot of, a lot of life is figuring out what you don't want or what doesn't vibe with you so that you, for me at least, I mean, it, it's different for, for everyone, but, but I've had and still do have so many interests that I, I have to try them. I don't have to, but I have tried a lot of them out before realizing that like, you know, just kind of figuring out, deconstructing this whole this whole program we're in from the schools to being in debt at university to getting a a job that you may or may not like and and then just like putting your head down because that's the thing you're supposed to do mm -hmm. i think that like there are you know like you said there are some benefits to to playing at a uh, at a career as a as a young person but yeah that that's why I asked that question. It just seemed interesting to me. Um, yeah. So you kind of wrap up this this restaurant gig. Did it? Did you guys close, or did you just kind of step away? Yeah, it was sort of um, a perfect storm of out of money, out of energy, and our relationship ended. And mm -hmm. so it was just very tumultuous, and it had run its course. And, um, and what happened so, after that? So after that, um, I had quite a few paintings and I had uh, some clients 
who uh, had a few of my pieces and I had a meeting with them one day and I happened to have like 10 paintings in my car um, just on my way passing their house. We're like, oh, that's stuff for tea. Okay, that's great. Oh, let's see what you got. And I pulled all these paintings out and um, they're like, okay, we'll take that one, that one, that one, that one, and that one. And they bought six paintings. I was like, okay. <laughs> so awesome. I um, all of a sudden had freedom and time and a good chunk of money. Mm-hmm. So I went to Europe for um, for a month. Nice. And then I went to Hawaii for three months. Uh, my friend was going to massage therapy school on Maui, and she said, "Oh, Sky, you'd love it here. It's so beautiful." And so I was like, "All right, I'll come." So I hopped on a plane and I went, and I just took my art supplies and I just painted. I rented a little room. And just painted nonstop for three months. Had a little art show at the end of it, and and it just totally nourished me and um, sort of reset me, my nervous system and my heart, and it was so valuable. And while I was there, I was walking down the street, and I saw this poster stapled to a telephone pole that was like the meaning of the universe and sacred geometry and where the, like the origins of where we all come from and the grand unification theory. Mm-hmm. And it was for a Jamie Janover presentation of Ms. M. Harriman's um, work in the um, grand unification theory. And I was like, Oh, that sounds amazing. I'd never, never heard of it. Um, what so year, I went to this What talk. year was this? This was 2009. Okay. Nice. Nice. So I, um, yeah, I went to the talk and um, just it blew my mind. And Jamie said, oh, I'm doing a, a music show tomorrow night for anybody that's interested. So I went to this music show, which also was just awesome. It was Lynx and Janover when they were playing together. Yeah. And I was talking to Jamie after because it's just a little show. It was very intimate and lovely. And he was so kind. And I said, Jamie, that just blew my mind last night. And um, just like I feel like I've been creating I was been drawing sacred geometry my whole life. And I just didn't know what it was. And now I have these tools in my tool belt that I can actually interpret the geometry in a new way. And it's just, it feels like it's just opened so much of the world to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I had this idea percolating for a few years leading up to that. Um, this idea that I thought was my own that I was like, oh, imagine there's a band or a DJ playing, and then there's an artist on stage with them. <laughs> interpreting it visually so the audience has like a visual anchor Mm -hmm. to witness while they go on this musical journey so i told him about it i said i have this idea and i just thought it was the coolest thing he's like oh yeah well there's a festival next weekend you should talk to phil right here and alex and alex and gray are going to be there and yeah you should totally come out and live paint i'm like oh live paint that's a thing okay and uh phil's like yeah come on out so all of a sudden i was thrust onto stage next to alex and allison and at that it was at that event, I met so much of, like I met Amanda Sage and so many um, of like now my dear visionary family and um, so much of the festival community. And mm-hmm. I asked Jamie after, I said, what else? That was awesome. What else would you recommend as far as festivals? And he listed off like Symbiosis, Beloved, LIB, all these festivals. And so I came back to BC. I uh, I got a van and I started going to festivals and, and went to symbiosis in 2009 and um, just, it opened new whole new worlds for me of, 
of community and family and creative expression and events and creative play and uh and then it's just evolved from there of being traveling every year multiple times and teaching and being part of this greater collective that's growing all the time it's like every day i i discover a new painter who's sort of an an up-and-coming visionary artist it's so exciting to see that community continue to grow yeah that's that's kind of the impetus for for this podcast really it's like such a large community such a large scene so many like and here in in colorado where i live so many artists have moved here in the past i mean i came here in 2012 and i was like wow there are a lot of artsy people here and now it's just i mean like there are so many painters so many musicians you know, dancers, uh, just every, every kind of creative person in the, in the sort of larger music and arts festival world seems mm-hmm. to have moved here. And, and I really just kind of wanted to, to sh- sort of shed a light and get like sort of the contours of like this, this movement on, on record, I guess. Um, I have one question though, about the story you just told the first time you live painted, and you were next to Allison and Al- Alex Gray. Did you know their? Did you know them at the time? Did you know of them of their work? I had um, the Mission of Art okay. book, and so I knew vaguely who they were. I I didn't realize they were a big, such a big deal. I just knew, yeah, I I knew that they were artists, and I really liked. Um, Alex's book and uh, they were very kind and welcoming and uh, supportive to me and yeah so <laughs> maybe maybe it was to my benefit that I didn't really realize right. that it was um, that it was such an honor and so I was chill yeah yeah <laughs> I didn't You're you know fan totally girl. fan them and yeah. freak out uh, so yeah nice um, so what kind of we sort of you sort of touched on like um when you were younger um you know working in a restaurant and having a job since you were 12 and you said that that your parents split up but i'm i'm also curious like maybe what other obstacles or uh friction have you met along the path uh in terms of like wanting to be an artist hmm question um not a lot yeah honestly I've I started doing like Christmas craft fairs and spring craft fairs when I was 13 Mm -hmm. and so I've I've been selling my paintings and selling my crafts since then that's so So it just really happened naturally I, I would and I would try to all different things I was making purses out of old silk neckties and I had a dremel tool so I was dremeling wine glasses and people would hire me to do like wedding gifts with their names and the dates and and then hand painting greeting cards and making little ornaments and always trying new things and button bracelets and all these things so it's I've just been experimenting and if things don't work then I just try something else and um you know people talk a lot about art being right side and business being left side 
of your brain and how, you know, artists are innately bad at business and woe is they and, you know, just the starving artist mentality is like a self-perpetuating myth that yeah. just is reality because we tell us ourselves this story that artists are bad at business. But I totally disagree. I think that business is very creative. You mm -hmm. have to be creative about products, about uh, marketing, about promotion and um, merchandising and um, talking to people about forging relationships. You can even be creative with your taxes. But uh, <laughs> that's, maybe that's a little bit more left, left brain. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, most of it is right brain. And I like this, this whole like, left wing, right wing thing. It's like these, always these polarizing. And I, I really, um, for the last quite a few years, I've really been meditating on paradox and nice. on balance and about like, you know, everything you do in the world is very important. In fact, it's so important that it's like on a grand cosmic level, you are vital to the evolution of the stars and God. And we're just a tiny speck on a tiny speck hurling through space. It's yeah. not that big a deal. Don't right. worry about it. We're over. It's gone in the blink of an eye. Right. And like, so what you have a zit or so what you like <laughs> broke your favorite mug or something right. like, it's just so meaningless. Um, and so both of those that like, that like offer the cosmos and the nihilism, it's both are true. Mm -hmm. And so like, where do you need to find your balance point that like, that swirling balance point of taping, take things really seriously. Don't take them seriously at all. What's your medicine in this moment is always going to be different. It always is not 50, 50 ever. Right. It's always going to be an ebb and flow of ratios, but they're both true always simultaneously. And so I think this, this like art and business, it's all, it's all the same thing. And we keep thinking this left brain, right brain, masculine, feminine, um, you know, output intake is, is that they're at odds. But really, they're a dance that is absolutely vital right. to everything around us and to our own existence. It's the in-breath, the out-breath. We can't live just breathing in or just breathing out. It's impossible. The heart has to pump as well. It's just this paradox yeah. of a dance. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much, uh, so much to talk about there. Like, uh, the whole duality thing, it's always seemed like a trap to me. And, but then I'll catch myself in that trap, which is funny language to use, like catching myself, but I'll notice myself, <laughs> uh, in, in the trap of being like on one, this side, you know, like, yo, I'm on this side and <laughs> to hell with that side. And then a couple of days later, I'll be like, I've kind of changed my mind on that. And, uh, mm -hmm. so I've, no, I've, I've tried to, you know, and I, I hope that this may be what an artist is, is cultivating that openness to, to sort of do that, that dance, that weave, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. touch, touch both those sides when you need to, or, or walk that line as much as you can, you know, going back and forth. Um, but oh. yeah, it's, it's, you know, like separating business and art is kind of a lot like, you know, 
saying, you know, are you a Democrat or a Republican? Are you science or are you religion? And I think that like those those dichotomies are reinforced by not just just people in power, but I think that's that may just be how the default human mind is set up, right? Mm. But I think it's it's kind of ridiculous to ask someone to choose and stay stay in that box or stay on that side because I don't know, there's there's so many different ways to look at anything. Yeah. Well everything we do takes multiple facets of ourselves. You you say like maybe that's maybe the artist's place and the artist actually is made possible by living in that balance point. And I, I think that that's that's absolutely true. That's the crux of it is that the artist has to live in both the masculine feminine or like the analytical and intuitive simultaneously in that balance point again, which might be, you know, 30% intuitive right now and Mm -hmm. 70% analytical, or maybe it's completely to the other, to the other spectrum, but it has to be both because it takes a lot of discipline to sit in front of a canvas and bring a vision into fruition. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not like thrilling, glamorous, dramatic work with like symphonies playing behind you and dr- cool, moody camera angles. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like we see in the movies where it's just like chain smoking and like drinking and you gotta, you know, everybody has their own vices, but... Right you got to show up and do the work Mm -hmm. and the clearer and the better rested and the better fed that you are, the more effective you are to do that work. And you have to also surrender to the inspiration that's flowing through. Otherwise you're just going to be showing up in front of the canvas, sitting there with your arms crossed saying, where's, I I don't have any ideas. Like, you know, or it's going to just be soulless. And so it, it has to be both. We have to be, we have to put our, our logical, focused, driven mind, our left side of our brain or our masculine or our, you know, maybe it's our in-breath or whatever it is. We put that part of us, of ourselves in service to the receptive, feminine, intuitive inspiration that flows through Mm -hmm. and so we listen but we also act and it's always this dance of in out in out and it's because man if we sit around waiting for inspiration we're just gonna gonna keep sitting there yeah yeah. like picasso says and i say this a lot it's picasso said inspiration does exist but it must find you working yep and it's such a key People say, where do your ideas come from? You probably get it as an artist, right? It's 100%. like the most common question is, how long did it take and where do your ideas come from? Yeah. And my answer to where do your ideas come from is they come through when I'm working. Yeah. So most of my concepts, most of my epiphanies and ideas come not when I'm grumbling at the canvas from across the room, though that <laughs> sometimes can, but it comes when I'm actually in the act. So maybe I'm in the act of cooking or dancing, or making music, but usually painting, Mm -hmm. the ideas will come. And so I have my sketchbook next to me, I write them down, back to work. And, and it's that listening, that receptivity, that's like, I think of it as like an open channel, you know, it's, if, 
if we're a channel, we're a faucet mm-hmm. that that funnels the divine inspiration of the cosmos mm-hmm. into our unique faucet shape, you know, yeah. whatever the, the Andrew shape of <laughs> your biology. channel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think of it, you know, like, um, the cake icing yeah. tube, yeah. you know, and we're all like the different nozzles on the end uh-huh. of the cake icing tube. <laughs> and it's all just icing flowing through, but it comes yeah, through yeah. in different shapes, depending on your unique perspective and story. And so if you, if you clog that little nozzle up being ourselves yeah. with, expectations and fears and demands and procrastination and perfectionism, then we just get all bunged up, just gets all crusty and constipated in there. We we don't need that. We just need icing. That's all we need. Just need need icing. (laughs) But sometimes you need to flush a little like thinner icing through. So sometimes like people say, what do do you do about artist blocks? And I say, make art. Yeah, yeah. Like stop believing in it. Stop giving it power over you. Make art, even if it's just crappy, like, in fact, especially if it's just <laughs> a mess. So if you're feeling bunged up creatively, get a piece of cardboard out from, from the recycle and get some crayons from your kid or a piece of charcoal from the fire and start scribbling. Start making a mess or draw on the driveway or sculpt in the sand on the beach or do something dance get your body involved do something that just loosens you up and then because if you if you have an artist block and you put a fresh you're like okay i'm going to get through this artist block and you pull out a fresh new canvas and you unwrap it and it's just pristine and you put it on your on your easel there and squeeze all the fresh colors of paint out that is the most terrifying thing you can possibly (laughs) do to get through an artist block yeah 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 don't do that it's just that's madness because you don't want to mess up a perfect canvas with your humble, you know, expressions. Right, right. You got to get, get out of the way get and get the divine flowing through you yeah, yeah, yeah. so the divine can mess up that canvas. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Um, well, this, so I'm glad that, that we started talking about that because I did want to ask you about, um, about your process because I know a lot of people listening to this will, will be curious about that. Um, and you sort of answered my question, but do you, do you ever come to the canvas with a preformed idea or something that you want to express or want to say? Definitely. Yeah. Um, but I have to hold it lightly mm-hmm. because there's always surprises along the way. And, I rarely come with an idea that's completely fleshed out in my mind's eye. Usually it's a seed of an idea and it takes me on a journey or it might be just one color or figure or animal or something. Maybe it's a overall shape of the composition that I want to play with. And I then can structure my elements around that. Mm -hmm. Um, but even if it is a pretty developed idea, I I have to be willing to throw it all out the window in nice. service to the painting and in service to the inspiration. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll follow the rabbit hole of an idea super far and put days or weeks into something only to 
suddenly come to this moment of true knowing that I have to paint over that. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that too, because I think when we met, it was um, a couple summers ago up at Cosm and you were painting, I forget the title of it. I could, I could sneak the title, but you were painting that woman with all the birds. Wild abandon. Yeah. And I think she had some birds at the time, but also like roses as well. Is, am I remembering there, that correctly? There was two paintings. I was painting one of Mary Magdalene holding the baby with all the roses. Okay. That was probably next to me. And okay. then um, same model, actually. Ah. Uh, my friend Indy, that's in both of them. Okay. And then the one with the birds was the one that I started live at that uh, solstice or uh, equinox was, event. Yeah, I think it was um, the solstice. That was, yeah. So, oh, yeah, it was the solstice. You're right. Yeah, it was in June. And so the one with the birds, I started live that night with I, with the other one sitting next to me. Got you. Well, anyway, that bird, the bird painting, um, Wild Abandon, it seems like that went through a bunch of iterations. Am I correct? Or am I misremembering um, that? I could definitely be misremembering that. My memory's not that great. They all do go through a bunch of iterations. And uh -huh. actually, even at the end of that night... I only had a few of the birds in there and it was very splashy and open mm. and like painterly. And I remember thinking, Ooh, maybe I should just say it's finished. Like I really like where it's at right now, Yeah. but it just felt right to keep going on it. And then of course, you know, I, I, I have this, um, this craving for painterly loose brushstrokes in my work, but then I just get in there and I refine every square <laughs> inch and just smother myself in detail. I can't help it. It's just, I don't know whether it's, anal retentiveness or whether it's just you know my style or the way that inspiration flows through me i just paint until the painting says it's finished yeah um but it's it, that one it had this like looseness and like drips i love drips and yeah um but i just kept going and it's uh it got super refined in every square inch <laughs> well so i found this uh the video the um art as as my teacher art is a teacher on YouTube. Mm -hmm. It's on your YouTube page, which is Autumn Sky Art, for anyone curious. I wanted to uh, share the screen real quick and kind of give people an idea of like what your, I'm, I'm going to mute the video. And I do want to get to the poem that Art is a Teacher later. But in the video, we have a painting of yours that goes through so many iterations here. And, um, are you thinking of the healing one? Is it called healing? And it's go it it goes through a woman who has cracked. She like is bald with a cracked At first, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can go through that whole painting. Is actually a separate video on YouTube there that's oh, okay. called uh, healing, and it's a minute and twenty seconds, and it goes through thirteen hundred different images. Whoa. I'm and okay. That's to anybody perfect, who's going to like go to my YouTube, just know that I haven't uploaded anything new in a long time and I'm sort of embarrassed about my channel, but, uh, any second now I'm going <laughs> to, no, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm always surprised sometimes, not always, sometimes I'm surprised when I find an artist has a YouTube channel at all. And all I'm right. always like pleasantly surprised. I'm like, okay, this will help a little bit with my research. So thank you for, um, cluing me into that which is this will be um much better uh much better content i guess okay here we go share screen <coughs> we'll share this one okay do you see the youtube page there just want to yes. confirm okay sweet yeah so i did this for the bloom 
Um, oh yeah, the, the documentary series. I remember. And they them. gave me the theme, the theme of healing, and I thought healing is a journey. Ah, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was curious about this painting in particular, um, just because the these these small clip I saw on the other video was was so i mean it's so da drastically i mean if you're seeing so i treated <laughs> yeah go ahead i specifically treated this one more like an animation this i'd, I'd uh, say this isn't okay. totally um typical though sometimes it can be very drastic when i change my mind and that's why i like working in acrylic paint yeah um but this one i wanted it to to animate the journey of healing rather than just be a time lapse of a, of painting a completed piece Wow. Oh my gosh. And you might recognize that painting. So yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's um it was very fun and usually I, I try to watch it on like a half speed because it's a hundred hours of painting, thirteen hundred photos in a minute or like like twenty five seconds or something like that. What is it? Yeah, a minute and twenty seconds. Yeah. Well I mean that is <laughs> very fast. That is just epic. And I guess so I think the point that I'm trying to get to in this in this line of questioning is uh like what are you this I I even had trouble like trying to write this down but where where mm, where's not the right word how do you listen how do you see through to make those kinds of decisions you know, when you're like, I need to paint over this third of the painting and I don't know what's going to go here, but I know that this is not what I like. And I noticed in that mm -hmm. one, I mean, you started so light. You started like so thin with the paint. Mm -hmm. I, I would have to imagine that that helps a lot in terms of like technicality, like being able to paint over something. <clears throat> Um, yeah, definitely painting. I paint typically in very thin layers of paint so mm -hmm. I can get drastic and not n usually not see what's underneath showing through in texture. Sometimes I have to get a little sandpaper out, but, um, it's, it's pretty minimal. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, on a technical level that does help. And like I said, painting in acrylic is very helpful for being, um, spontaneous and intuitive around my decision-making. Um, but as far as, yeah, it's a really good question. How, how do I listen? It's, I think it's body centric. Mm -hmm. Like if I, if I really feel into it, it's around my solar plexus, gut and heart mm -hmm. that it just feels right. You know, like gut instincts and Sometimes I'll argue with it and say, oh, man, no, I just spent like three days painting that. And it just, oh, and it just makes sense. Yeah. And you have to keep showing up and not be precious about things. Like I have an, an older painting that I did in Costa Rica. Uh, I started at Envision and it's called Pura Vida. It's got like 60 animals, Costa Rican animals all swirling and mm -hmm. this woman rising up out of the jungle. And there's a... Uh, a rainbow macaw in that over her head that I literally painted till finished three times because each time I thought 
oh no, it has to be a little higher. It has to have more of like a feeling of levity and less like a headdress, like bird stuck to her head. Yeah. And so I moved it by two inches, repainted it, glazed it, got it all nice. Oh no, it has to move again. And so part of that I would chalk up to me not maybe not planning that much. Like when I did do art college, they would always make, I did the one year and they would always make you set, hand in your thumbnail drawings and your color studies and everything with your painting. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, screw that. That's not how I work. I would right. do all that after mm-hmm. and hand it in and be like, yes, this is my planning phase because I paint so intuitively. Um, so I really rebelled against that. And I feel like now I'm coming into the point that's more, that's a balance between the two because I see, especially when I'm live painting, I see there's like a little bit of planning is helpful. I used to just arrive, like for many years, I would just arrive with a blank canvas, no idea. Like, Same. Hmm, I wonder what I should paint. Yeah. And it would just take me on a journey. And now I'm like, oh, okay, I see that actually just like bringing a couple reference photos, maybe like drop that plumb line of the center of the canvas down the canvas first. Yeah. That's going to help. Like I painted that this like beloved piece. It was the, my first year at beloved. Mm-hmm. It's a man and a woman looking at, looking at each other with lots of designs around it. Um, older piece. And I painted it and I happened to be standing. It was before they built the painter's stage. So they just had us all on this slope. And I was standing on an angle and my easel was on an angle. And the whole painting was off like t- the, the axis, the like straight vertical axis of the painting was off by two inches. Oh, man. So when I framed it, I had to have it restretched and straightened. It was so funny. So yeah, just that kind of thing. Like just measure it. If it's if it's a central composition, just measure the composition. Anyways, I det- I got distracted from your question. Your question was how do I listen? And yeah, it's it's centered in my body, and mm-hmm. it's a knowing that my mind can't talk me out of. Yeah. Um. So there is the logic involved sometimes. Like it is like oh, I feel that that macaw does need to be a little higher because of all these logical reasons, but it's also a knowing. And I think it's the knowing that motivates the, the surrender Mm -hmm. of the saying, okay, I'll just continue to keep showing up and doing the work and be willing to, uh, for the sake of the painting, the painting deserves it. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, you know, blink of an eye, yeah, ten years goes by. Like, how is it almost twenty twenty two? It's so weird. I don't so, know. anyways, like in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, and if, and if I can spend however many hours zoning out to like mediocre Netflix shows, then <laughs> yeah. surely I can spend a few hours in service to something that I'm carving out of nothingness yeah. to share with who knows how many people. So I think that really, like, we in this society in this day and age, we're very um, seduced by the like instantaneous nature of like, you know, you can call ahead to McDonald's and they'll have your food ready for you. <laughs> Not that I would say either McDonald's ever, but we don't know, like, we're that. just so like, and like, and now they're like, Ooh, 5g, you can download a movie in in three seconds. I'm like, why, why do we need that? It's not necessary. It's right. okay to like plan ahead and download a movie a little slower. It's really, you know, at what cost are we expediting all of these process? Like the fact that you can order one, like one ball bearing from Amazon and it'll be on your doorstep within two days is just madness. It's madness. Yeah. Just because so, we can doesn't mean that we should, right? Yeah. It's just, we don't need to operate in this quick. So I think that in that process of like getting 
getting seduced and getting used to how how instant things can be. We've lost a lot of our willingness to stay with a process. And when I teach, that's so much what it comes to is like just like, you know, the Dory from Finding Nemo, just keep on swimming, just keep on painting, keep on painting. Like you just have to do the work. There's no, if you want realism or if you want detailed fractals exploding out of, mm. you know, a sunflower, there's no quick fix for that. That's sure, right. there's some clone brushes on <clears throat> on Photoshop if you want right. to move to digital, but even that's not instant. You have to, if you really want to do service to the art you're creating, you have to be willing to do do the work. And sometimes that work is annoying and boring and tedious. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to do that work again to fix things. And it's, it's okay. It's, it's all worth it because you look at a painting, you never look at a painting that you finished on the wall framed and think, I wish I spent a little less time on that painting. Right. Right. Or I wish I didn't take those creative risks with that. Well, maybe, you know, there are detours you can take in paintings, but it's always in service to something greater and um, and so listening to that feeling of the signposts of your gut or yeah. the signposts of your solar plexus or heart that will help steer you towards that greater fruition of your work is so key. If you um, know about kinesiology and muscle testing, I don't. Um, have you ever explored that? I've so heard there's of There's a lot of different ways of muscle. Yeah. yeah, so it's like the wisdom of your, it's like body wisdom. It's like wisdom of your muscles. And so um, like a lot of um, holistic doctors will get you to hold supplements to your chest and you hold out your arm and they, they push down your arm and it'll tell you whether it's a medicine or not to mm. you. It's like trusting sort of your subconscious and your body. Yeah. Um, uh, there's other ways like you can put, try to push your fingers apart by making true or false statements. You can lift your fingers off your chest. You can lean forward and back. There's a lot of different ways. To me, having somebody else push down on my arm feels like my bias is arguing against their bias. That feels way too nebulous to me. Mm. So the way that I have, I've done it for probably 15 years now is um, I use an object that's between 5 and 10 pounds, something that you can lift straight out from your body um, that gives resistance to your muscles, but it's not going to tire you out in three lifts. So something that just yeah, yeah. feels like, okay, I can feel my muscles engaging here um, quite a bit, but not super heavy. And then make sure you're well hydrated and then just make statements. Like I always start with my name just so I can get, get a feel for the weight. My name is Autumn Sky, lift. My name is Janine Salzbrig, lift. And you can literally feel the difference in weight mm. when you make these true. It's in my highest good that I go on this trip to New Zealand, lift. It's not in my highest gift. So I've used it for big decisions. Mm. I've used it for like partnerships and for businesses and, and for trips and um, business moves. It's really, um, I've really learned to use it and trust it because you can feel the difference. There's no bias there. You can literally feel the difference. And the more that I've used that, the more I can feel that in my body just by thinking thoughts, I can feel it filling me or draining me because it 
on a very, um, like on a quantum physics level or on a kinesiology, like science-backed level, it's you're physically depleting your body of chi. Mm. It's like if, you know, a lot of traditions believe in this life force that fills us. And right. that's why it's so imperative, especially in these wacky times that we're in, that we keep our our minds in check and keep our self-talk in check. You know, the kind oh, of yeah. self-talk that we give ourselves and then we wonder why we feel so drained. It's it's magic, but it's very tangible, effective yeah. magic. And um, so the more you can get to know that feeling and use it, I, I encourage you, I've found things in my house using this. Like, it's upstairs. Nope downstairs okay it's downstairs and like narrowing it down and i always double check it like cross-reference it of it i say the positive and then i say the negative version and it's fascinating so i think that it's a similar feeling when i'm when i'm working with my paintings and and just like the thoughts come and i'm like oh that feels good like it just fills my body with like this knowing yes right and yeah yeah, yeah i uh i was going i was actually going to ask you you know okay, how do you listen? But then like, how do you get in touch with your body? Right. And, and mm-hmm. that's, and you just, uh, you precog, you precognized my question there. <laughs> Perfect. Another, like, I think that, I think that maybe it's modern society. Maybe it's just the way human, the human mind can sort of take over the body in a certain way. But I think that we, have trouble feeling like physically feeling things or noticing when we're feeling one way or the other. And now it's like, you know, multiplied by tons of distraction with these, you know, it's kind of like weaponized distraction at this point, really. Um, But I think if we could actually like feel what we're doing to our bodies, we would, we would change our behavior, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, like the way that I try and stay in touch with that is like exercise, yoga, meditating. And I don't do all three of those every single day, but just like enough to be like, you know, Oh, here I am. Like, how does this feel when I do the dishes? Oh, great. Like it, in my mind, I was like, I don't want to, or whatever it is, you know, chore or something that I don't that in my mind my mind is like quote unquote I don't want to do this we should go paint or whatever there's this thing about these small victories where you you kind of chop down things on the to-do list and make your environment like a more orderly or clean place and it doesn't have to be like fascistically orderly or anything like that but you know what I mean? Like there's, there's things that we have to do every day. And then once I do the proverbial dishes, I notice that I feel better. I feel lighter and more focused when I do Mm -hmm. step up to the easel later down the line. And, but yeah, I think that, that being able to feel things is super important. It's that going back to that duality thing again, if I, you know, I, I would venture to say that most people are, are, we're stuck in our minds like most of mm-hmm. the time. Um, but yeah, yeah, thank you for, for those insights there. That was great. 
So what's it called again say, for, for people who are wondering? Uh, muscle testing. Muscle testing. Okay. Right yeah. Down. And there's a lot of different forms, like I said, but the one that I've really come to is that lifting technique because there's no bias there. As long mm. as the weight is, is good for your strength level, it's like something that's comfortable to hold. Sometimes I'll use like my basket with my water bottle and sketchbook in it or um, it'd be interesting for me to actually weigh the thing that feels right because i always grab different things like i'll be in the grocery store and i'll use my purse or something <laughs> yeah yeah. be like at a stoplight and i'll use my basket next to me in the car seat and so <laughs> um but yeah it's really it's such a good tool and it's like you say it's it's getting in touch with our feelings and i think again here's that paradox is that we're so often stuck in our mind as you said i think we're also stuck in our feelings yeah, hundred um, percent. But in a way that it's overwhelming, yeah. or we're being ruled by it, or um, we don't know how to channel it, or we want to numb it. Yeah. And so much of our of our mo these days is through coping. Just you know, just like binge watch some shows or. Eat, like we're, we're it's, it's such a strange time to be alive. It's so exciting and so strange and so scary mm -hmm. in in all of those things all at the same time. And um, it's easy to get apathetic. And in that apathy, we stop listening. I think a lot of the time we um, we just say, "I'll oh, screw it. I'll just eat the thing that I know is going to give me comfort in the short term, but make me suffer in the long term." And then I'll take a Tylenol or I'll take some like antacids or something like that to then cope with the feelings of my body giving me the signals that this is not a medicine to me or that this is actually a poison. Mm. And, you know, it's like, oh, I'm sitting at my computer and I'm hunched over. My posture is terrible. Or as we all know, as painters, yeah, like, we yeah, all sit up. Yeah. Oh, did, you say, did you say posture? Someone say posture. <laughs> <laughs> said now, instead of when I'm taking a photo, instead of saying cheese, I say posture. <laughs> And everybody just brilliant. So yeah, you know, instead of instead of like you say, like doing yoga or um, I paint on a on a yoga ball a lot of the time, and that really helps my posture. Nice helps the fluidity of my spine. But instead of listening to my body that says, "Oh, my back hurts from sitting this way," I should stretch it out, or I should change. I should raise. Like yesterday, I was painting for hours on this piece. And I should have just moved my easel up three and a half inches. But instead, I was working on the lower part of the canvas and I was just having to do this like crouch thing. And I'm looking over now at my stool. And I'm like, oh, actually, it's on a hydraulic. I could have moved my stool down. <laughs> but you're so yeah. in the flow right, that you're not, yeah. you're not really listening. Like you can hear your body. You can hear it saying, ouch, or no. Yeah, yeah. But we just keep on going through and then later you know you might feel like you're going to take some painkillers which i didn't but and i don't typically but it's so easy to just put a band-aid on it instead of truly listening what the deeper signal is and i think so much of what we're dealing with in our society right now is is topical band-aids yeah and not truly going to the root and I know it's very like idealistic and, 
and vague to say that, but I, I truly believe that we're not, you know, it's like going to the doctor and saying, oh, my hip hurts. And he says, oh, well, here's some painkillers or, right. or something instead of like, oh, actually your knee is out of place or your ankle or your shoulder, like this holistic approach to society, this holistic approach to our art making. Uh, it's, it's all, we have to look at so many different avenues, I think, to get a, a bigger picture. 100% agree. And, um, you know, not to discount the mind because it can be pretty powerful and pretty, um, spot on if you, if you know when to listen to it, I guess, uh, sometimes it's just yammering at you about some discursive BS, but sometimes you'll have like one of those sharp insights. It's like, I've, I've been trying to get into the practice of like writing stuff down. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly think that it's made me a more fluent speaker and this this whole project is is kind of maybe in some way is like teaching me how to speak <laughs> hmm. um but anyway um i wanted to get back to this this is actually this dovetails nicely um what kind of do you have like any routines or rituals or or habits that you that you do before you paint like uh what's a what's a typical day look like for you hmm. i would love to say that i paint nine to five <laughs> five days a week um but the truth is uh sometimes a couple weeks goes by that i don't paint and then there might be a couple weeks that i paint 15 hours a day hmm. Uh, it really sort of ebbs and flows. And I think that that's part of the blessing and the curse of being self-employed yeah. is that it can simultaneously take up all your time, all your waking hours, and it can also be sidelined or put on the back burner in service of um, family, business, community obligations, various things, chores, it's just easy to to let it um, go down the priority list because it's you know you don't have a, a boss. The boss or is is you is you or your inspiration um, mm. or that innate drive to create art. Um, but it's easy to distract from that. But it. it I also, for the last year, I've been in the process of building uh, my new studio, which this is my first podcast interview in my new studio. It's so exciting. Awesome. Nice. And um, so it's it's been exactly a year. And for the last week, I've been painting in here. There's still a few boxes around here and there. But for the most part, the art is hung. The shelves are stocked. I've got hot running water. Oh. And um, it's such a beautiful space. And so to be able to bring students here instead of traveling so much is sort of my main motivation of this space. It was an unfinished boat shed when we moved onto the property. So it, um, if I was to design my dream studio from scratch, it would be a lot more modest. But this, mm. by thinking, ooh, my dream studio has high ceilings and this really has high ceilings. I was thinking like 12 feet would be nice. This is like 18 to 24 foot ceilings. Oh, wow. And uh, <laughs> so it's, it's amazing. So, but for the last year, it's, that's taken a lot of my focus. I haven't produced sure. as much art or uh, done as many because I was painting in the spare bedroom of the house and, and then also 
managing the, the build of the studio. Um, I, but now I, I feel like I've been painting in here for a week and I feel like I can get into a routine and it's nice having it a little bit separate from the house. It's about a, uh, probably 65 second walk from the house, <sighs> nice. which is very pleasant through the woods. Nice. And, um, so usually when I arrive to the studio, uh, wherever that studio may be, but now it is here, um, I typically, I light a candle, I put on music, I might burn some incense or some sage or something that smells delicious and feels clearing and like it connects me in with the moment. And, um, and then I paint and that's about it. Nice. I just paint and sometimes I sing and sometimes I listen to podcasts and sometimes I have friends that drop by. Um, but mostly it's just painting and that is my practice. That's my, that's my medicine. That's my ritual. That's my like deepest teacher is just this process of surrender, of showing up, of listening, of taking risks, of doing the work and being willing to stay in that process. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I wanted it's to, deep and I, def awesome. <laughs> I definitely wanted to get into, um, teaching, um, a little bit. I just, in my notes here, it just says, you know, dash teaching as like, really, <laughs> Good but I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't articulate it out into a question yet, but so you have, you have that poem that we, that I briefly mentioned earlier. Um, and it's called art as a teacher. Um, could you give us maybe like a couple highlights from that poem? And then, and then this will percolate into into your own uh, teaching career. And mm -hmm. one question that I uh, that I will, I'll save it for later. I'll save it for later. But I have a question now. Sorry. Okay, I'll Go see ahead. if I can preempt it and answer it without you asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do that again. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, there's sort of, I guess, there's two two topics woven together here in your question or in the, in the idea itself is the art as the teacher and the artist as the teacher. Mm -hmm. So, um, I had been asked for years if I taught years and years. And I would always say, uh, no, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I just paint. But then if somebody asks me a question, a specific technical question, I can answer it at great length. And with quite a bit of experience. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that I do have a wealth of knowledge that I've accumulated that I enjoy sharing. Um, and in, I guess it was 2012, um, I met my friend Una, who has Bella Retreats. And Una. she, you know Una? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, call Shout her Una. family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, she and another friend, Heidi, uh, in Costa Rica, they sort of cornered me in this loving way. And they said, we want you to teach and we're going to arrange it all. Heidi was managed, managing, um, Salva Armonia retreat center. And Una was starting her Bella retreats business. And they said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to make this happen a year from now. We'll handle all the registration. We'll handle all the logistics. You just show up and paint and 
talk to be about people about painting. And I was like, oh, okay. And so we came up with the top, the, the name uh, Soul Portraits. And because I was like, oh, yeah, it's like self-portraits, but like soul portraits. Cool. Okay. Mm. And, um, and it went great. And we learned so much in that first time. And I realized that I can just like go on and on about art. And I, I like, I was able to break down my process in, into um, sort of a, a level playing field for people, regardless of their experience. So I've had people come to the retreats and now we've done eight of them. And then I've taught also in, in Europe at the Academy of Visionary Art um, in Vienna and in Italy at the Torre Superiore seminars and at COSM um, and then locally. And I've, I've always find that uh, regardless of people's experience, it comes down to just the willingness to stay in front of the easel is the biggest gift that you can give yourself and that you can give your creative process. And people amaze themselves at what they're capable of by just continuing to show up. And I give them every key I can possibly give them. I have no secrets in my creative process. I just lay it all out in um, as easy to understand and digest pieces as possible. I, I introduce all the same tools that I use and I really just want to empower people to discover their own authentic style. Um, and so I give them a lot of my, my tricks and treats all the way along the, the, the process. And, um, and it teaches them. I, you know, you can, you can study with the greatest painters in the world and you can pick up some, some really great um, tools and techniques and perspectives and... and um, it can teach you a lot, but there is no replacing the act of art making. Right. You know, you can find the best bicycle rider in the world and he can sit you there for hours. You can do like a, a 300 hour seminar of him explaining to you how to ride a bicycle. <laughs> like just right. down to like from the physics, from the like directions and gravity and pedaling and, but nothing at all will ever um, be as effective as you just getting on that bicycle and falling over a few times and learning where your balance is yeah. and learning about your motion and about your body and your the the new tools under you. Yeah. Um, so the painting is the teacher, and um, it's the willingness to make mistakes. It's the willingness to mess up a pretty white canvas. Um, it's and it's the willingness to just keep on painting yeah. and keep on moving forward and working through the inertia, working through the resistance and keep going forward. And so that's why I think that the, the true blessing of these workshops and retreats and seminars is it's sort of this container that the students arrive in and me as well. We arrive into this container where we're fed where we're cleaned up after, it's just everything is taken care of. You're like a child in that yes. way. Yeah. And and we've got a few things like, you know, a few extracurricular activities. But it's funny now working with Una for so many years and she's awesome. She's just completely my perfect counterpart in that in that teaching, facilitating dance. And she'll like say, Okay, here's your schedule for the week. You every day, okay, you you get up, you eat, 
you paint, you eat, you paint, <laughs> you eat, you either paint or you dance or you nap or whatever you want to do, you sleep, you eat, you paint. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes like that. And that's so with that container of like no laundry piling up and no yeah, kids yeah, yeah. demanding their lunches for school or whatever it is, no emails unless you have to. It's um, it creates this opportunity for you to listen to the creative process and find those places in your own creative process where you either need to show up more or cut yourself some slack. You know, it, it really shows us how we're walking in the world of do I need to take this more seriously or less seriously? And it's usually one or the other. So and important. It's usually about finding your balance in there of like, okay, I have a tendency for perfection, perfectionism. That's cool. How can I also free myself from the chains of that? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I have a, a tendency of being flippant and giving up. Like I've had people say, oh, on the first day, I, uh, I want a new canvas. I said, no, 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 it's <laughs> acrylic. You just paint over it if you don't like it. Like yeah, yeah. keep on going, keep on, keep moving forward. And so are you flippant? Are you, do you quit easily? And therefore, do you need to take it a little bit more seriously? Do you need to follow through? Do you need to follow through in your relationships or in your job or in your home life or in your care of your children? Like, which, what is it that's demanding your attention that you're afraid to keep, to show up for? Right. I I feel like, I feel like creativity and, and painting, whatever it is, you're really working on yourself, right? Because you just mentioned all these other things besides painting that maybe, the act of painting can sort of show you this trait about yourself that Mm -hmm. might need a little bit of work or might need a little bit of easing up on like you were talking about self-talk earlier and how we can we can actually you know we can poison ourselves or heal ourselves um via what we consume i'm i believe in that and if you're consuming your own circular thoughts about oh, I'm not good enough. I need to perfect this painting. It's never, you know, and you just get stuck in a cycle like that. And um, yeah, I think that, you know, art is the teacher, like you were saying. Um, so what what have you learned about yourself through being creative and making art all these years? What, what kind of... Um, Maybe what kind of stories have you let go of along your path or what, you know, how have you changed? <laughs> um, I think it's an ongoing metamorphosis, really. It's hard to For pinpoint sure. because of the blessing in my life of always being able and encouraged to make art. Um, that process has just always been there for me. So it's not really like there was this uh, epiphany moment of breakthrough realization and shedding of um, some old self. It's really an ongoing refining and, and finessing of my inner landscape. Um, it, it teaches me ongoing lessons on, on that showing up of, of doing the work, of surrendering, of trusting the process, of getting out of the way of being diligent, of planning a little bit to save myself a lot of work later um, while still staying open to to the magic and to the wonder. 
you know, we can, we're taught from a very young age of what like the ideal uh, American dream looks like or North American dream. Of, and so we might think, okay, by the time I'm 35, I want to be married with a white picket fence and, uh, and 2.5 kids and a dog and a cat and yada, yada, yada. We have this very clear idea. You know, that's the most like generic, you know, quintessential one, but we might have these ideas. And even maybe it's on like a shorter term of like, oh, this weekend, this weekend, I'm going to like get out into the garden and I'm going to put all my beds to sleep for the winter and, and get totally get prepped. And then maybe the weekend rolls around and your best friend really needs some support. And so you end up going for a hike and then you get to the top of a mountain and you get to see this beautiful vista and you pick wild mushrooms on the way. And, you know, it looks totally different. Yeah. And so that's that willingness to adapt, the willingness to listen and show up. And our painting process is the same way in that if we can, you know, have a direction, point in a certain direction, it's good to have plans. Yeah. Um, but also be willing to make detours and be willing to listen. I think what it's really taught me about the idea of mistakes, this concept of, of um, accidents is that, you know, Bob Ross taught us all. He says, there's no mistakes. There's just happy little accidents. (laughs) And so, like, what is that mistake presenting to you? A mistake basically is a door being flung open and you being pushed to the threshold of it. And it's a door that you wouldn't even have reached for the the handle if it hadn't have been flung and you pushed. So now, are you going to walk through the door? Or are you going to close the door maybe start a new painting, get mad, you know, do something else instead. So instead, like, let's walk through this, this door and see what's on the other side. And so often these mistakes can be incredible epiphanies if we, if we allow them to be. They can be yeah. just awesome new aspects of a, of a painting or a piece of music or uh, like, oops, I dumped cinnamon in my, in my stew. <laughs> oh, actually, cinnamon and stew is super yummy. Great. Okay. Moving forward. It's, uh, it's those kind of things. It's, um, it's just being willing to stay open to the wonder. And, um, and that's what it, yeah, it continues to teach me. It, it teaches me to, that if I want to be really effective in my art practice, that I need to take care of my body vessel by eating well, sleeping well, keeping a level continence in level mental space. Yeah. Um, I need to be in a space that feels inspiring and it smells good and feels good and I'm warm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not really a fan of this like long-suffering, starving artist motif thing like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I call myself a comfortunist and it's not to, <laughs> not to say that I can't rough it I grew yeah, up yeah. I spent two years growing up in tents right. while my parents built their house and like I've lived off the grid and I've camped a lot a lot and traveled and slept in my car and like I've done it and I've lived in very humble little houses but within that space like if I'm sleeping in my car I'm gonna like ball up some of my clothes and put them under my knees so that my back isn't in pain in the morning. Right, right. And, or if I'm like, if I'm so tired that I'm 
falling into bed at night after, uh, after doing an event, I'm still going to brush my teeth <sighs> and get a glass of water beside my bed so that I can wake up and feel like part human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that we, we don't have to punish ourselves even further or like put ourselves into even more discomfort because then we're just sort of sidelining all the progress we've made, I think, to be able to be effective, to be able to operate in the world, to feel like, okay, I, I can clear the like distraction of discomfort away from me. Yeah. You know, unless it's something that really is demanding your attention, right, you know, right, like, right you have some sort of body issue or relationships that are uncomfortable that need attention, of course. Right. Um, but if it's, if you're cold while you're painting, put on a sweater Yeah. or like get some slippers for your studio or something like you don't have to be uncomfortable and be long suffering in order to be a glamorous romantic artist. It's not true. I a hundred percent agree. So take care. Yeah. Yeah. It's even, it even gets, uh, it even gets hard for me at festivals sometimes where if they're in the fall or like the early spring where it's like really cold at night. Um, yeah. Like we painted at Red Rocks a few weeks ago and it just got like so windy and cold. Um, like during the night, I was like holding mm -hmm. on to my, my canvas and like, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> it was good times though. I, I had, uh, I had Randall there with me and we were, we were painting together so that was actually kind of it was actually ended up being kind of fun um but yeah i want to drill down on that sleep thing a little bit and offer like my perspective on it i i didn't get i didn't get it i didn't get sleep i didn't understand how important it was until i don't know five years ago i'm 36 right and like i think all through my 20s i was just like full rage you know like 110 percent all the time and i i wasn't even painting uh until i was 26 so that first half was just like listless partying and then even after that i was like well if i'm gonna stay up this late like maybe i should like make something <laughs> but i just i just want to reiterate that uh that healthy rhythms are so important and mm -hmm. once i sort of figured out my sleep and then once you can master sleep and i know this is being sort of like echoed in the in the larger culture now since we're all coming to terms with whatever our cultural neurosis around taking care of ourselves but yeah i just i just think once you can get your sleep rhythms down your production your productivity will will go through the roof yeah, they've done studies in um, like the corporate world, right, where they give, they either shorten the workday or they give like a nap period or a meditation period in the middle yeah. of the day. So you're actually diminishing the working hours, but they see the productivity go through the roof and they, they're doing it in schools. And so if it works with corporate workers and children, then why wouldn't it work with us? And, and there's that like cutting yourself some slack yeah, if needed. Or if you're finding that you're just like procrastinating and laying around and like watching TV all day or like, you know, maybe you need a little less sleep and a little yeah. bit more action, like find, find your medicine balance, whatever that is. But um, yeah, I definitely believe in taking care of your body 
so that it doesn't distract you and detour you from your purpose. If your purpose is to inspire, help inspire the world, then you don't want something annoying like... Um, Cold feet. <laughs> yeah, cold feet or like a, like a bad back or something like it can got to like eat well yeah. and sleep and like just yeah take care drink water drink water i have like mm-hmm. a, a a bell i ring when i'm teaching i'm like drink water and like sit up straight yeah. like move your easel i need to learn from my my own advice but uh yeah just really um just do the easy things so that you can be more effective and you can paint even more into like, I want to paint until the day I die and I want to live until I'm a hundred. And so right. if I want to, if I want to rise to that, then I need to take care. And I definitely, any second now I'm going to start a yoga practice. I, I promise. <laughs> I mean, all, <laughs> all I do is like, I mean, it's pretty just elementary, like 10 minutes every morning. But it yeah. it just does something for me. I don't know what it is. Like I get a lot of soreness out, and I get you know I align my spine in this way so mm-hmm. that I can just sort of it's it's just easier to check in with yourself, and you actually know when you're tired, and you know when you can push it. I just mm-hmm. yeah, I just find it like a nice little. It's a it's a tool to just be more more present with, with mm-hmm. your own body. Um, I think that that's probably one of my shortcomings is that I have this like productivity mind that like, even though I know intellectually that yoga is good for me and I like, I enjoy it every time I do it. I love it. And, but it's like, I don't have something tangible to show for it after <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I've only just in the last few years learned how to watch a movie without multitasking, assembling greeting cards at the same time or signing prints at the same time. So, because it's not this like commodity, this it's not this productivity thing. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for me to prioritize it. Yeah, it's uh, and so, I, but I know it intellectually, and I really, I know that it's something that would be really helpful for me but I've also been very I've pretty strong constitution like my physical body is pretty healthy yeah um and I come from like my both my parents pretty healthy in that way my dad has passed now but um you know like very healthy lifestyles and healthy bodies and so I haven't had to like it's that whole thing like make time for your health now otherwise you'll be forced to make time for it later or make time for your disease later. And so I know that it's like a preventative thing, but it's also hasn't been this like knocking on my door of like, take care of this. It's not a priority yet kind of thing. So yeah. And literally any second, maybe after this, this chat, I'll uh, (laughs) get my mat out. You'll inspire me. Yeah. (laughs) I think, I think it was because when I was like probably 23 or 24, my girlfriend at the time got me this uh, gift certificate to a what was then called Bikram or Bikram Yoga mm-hmm. um, uh, spot. So it was like a month long. Just you could go for free. So I went for 28 out of the 30 days of that month to this Great. hot yoga thing. And like 
by the middle of that month, I was just on fire, like all the time, just like super present and just without a care in the world kind of thing. Um, and just, you know, knowing the reality of what people call chi or what, if you're a, you know, if you're more science minded, you could call biological energy, but like just really, really feeling that. Um, mm. but anyways, this isn't a podcast about, uh, yoga, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to come back to, um, what did I want to come back to? Oh yeah. So we were talking about teachers, um, you, you being a teacher, um, first of all, and, and then art, of course, art being a teacher, I want to know, did you have any real life art mentors or really any kind of mentor? It could be business, could be, um, you know, spiritual or, or, or just anyone along your path who sort of showed you something and, and, and gave you kind of a, a, a direction. Hmm. Not specifically. Hmm. Um, like I mentioned, my parents and my family, my mom has always been like my greatest cheerleader. She's also my uh, aunt, most honest critic. So she's really, really helpful in like nice. in picking pieces apart. She loves to help name paintings. She loves to like brainstorm or troubleshoot compositional issues or that kind of thing. She just gets a kick out of it and she's got a really good perspective. Um, my art teacher in high school, as I mentioned, was, um, was, I don't know, just arts, you talk about high school and you just start like falling asleep. No, I mean, I hate it when this <laughs> happens. School. oh God. No, no don't worry. Just I kidding. just, it's just a physiological response. I, I yawned <laughs> for good. anyone Get that listening. oxygen. Yeah, Get yeah. Get it. Sorry to chime this No, that's it. funny. Um, so yeah, my, my, my high school art teacher, um, I think just in his, trust and faith in me and his like untethering of control really encouraged me to um to view the art as my own teacher um and really to uh just experiment and play and get to know different mediums um so i'd say those are like some pretty big mentors my uncle when i was a when i was a really young kid. Um, he was an amazing artist. He died when I was, I think like eight. Um, but I remember like sitting with him at the cottage and him teaching me how to draw a sun umbrella, that kind of like perspective. Yeah. That was really neat. And, um, there's been, there's been a lot of great little tricks along the way and awesome cheerleaders. Uh, but nobody that's really, I wouldn't say there's been a mentor that's stuck with me or that I've stuck with that it's just art has been my mentor. It's been my, my focus and my greatest teacher because I've also moved around quite a bit and um, I, I really am resistant being to being told what to do. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I really like, I mean, that's an artist thing that I just like, yeah, I don't like that. So I really just like to, like I remember even as a kid asking me, I'm like, mama, what should I draw? And she'd be like, mm, draw a hippopotamus. I'm like, nah, and draw a person. <laughs> and I was like, but just like having her tell me to draw something that I didn't want to draw helped fuel my, what yeah, I yeah. do want to do. So maybe that was helpful. I don't know. It's, um, 
yeah, I think, I think just the art itself and then just being exposed to art. I just love going to museums and art galleries and looking closely. It's fun to like go to a museum and you can always tell who the artists are because they're right up to the canvas like this. And they're like looking at, you know, you're looking at Rembrandt's brush strokes, like what the, how does he do that? It's so cool. And it's like, yeah, other people stand back and look like this and artists are just like, want to, I want to see that brush stroke and how it's laid down. What direction did he use? Yeah. I went to, uh, my parents were in town a few months ago and I took them to the Denver art museum and there's a bunch of Monet's there and there's this one, it's like a winter scene, but you get up close and it's like little specks of like ultraviolet and yellow and it it creates this crazy iridescent thing. And I was like, Uh I mean like right, right (laughs) here. And, uh, and I had someone, you know, they had to be like, sir, you need to step back a little bit. Or the alarms go off. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's never embarrassing. Um, yeah, well, that's interesting. Like it's kind of like just your life experience has sort of been your, your own mentor and Mm -hmm. that's really unique. Cool. Um, so yeah, we're we're at about an hour and forty minutes so far. Uh, I want to ask you just a few more questions, mm-hmm. and then and then we'll wrap this up. But I kind of want to focus on on the future, and I know we've talked about you know plans versus sort of flowing and and feeling your way through things. But is do you have a dream project or desire to to do any sort of um, bigger or or better maybe we don't have to use those as qualifiers but like do you have a dream project (laughs) for the future at all um well bringing the studio to fruition has definitely been a dream come true it's um it's such a beautiful space and it's a space that i'm really excited to be able to welcome students into and welcome art community into and it's in a beautiful place on the sunshine coast and uh so it's a lovely sanctuary um, and, uh, so that's very exciting. We also on this land would like to have a small scale retreat center. So that's sort of a, a grander creative vision. Um, I am quite content not traveling at the, for the time being, I've traveled a lot in the last, um, especially in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. But um, I like last winter was the first winter in 19 years that I didn't take an international trip somewhere. Wow. And uh, in 2019, I think I flew like nine times internationally and it was just just too much mm-hmm. um, for, mo- for many reasons, like amazing. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, but now I'm quite happy to just dig into this land and really cultivate um, the studio space and the studio is big, so I'm excited to paint on some big paintings and, like, yeah, work on some multi-figure pieces and see where where they go and and explore bigger brush strokes and see what happens with that. Um, nice. I'm working on designing a coffee table book right now. Oh, cool. I'm working with Blue Angel Publishing, uh, who I've worked with a couple times in the past, and they've been awesome. They're out of Australia and. So they've given me the green light. Uh, we we discussed it and did all the contracts last year. 
and they've given me the green light um, this month to let's start moving forward on it. So I've been designing it right down to every page and it's going to include uh, about 10 years worth of art. It'll be about 120 pages and uh, have some writing in it as well. That's really exciting. That's been something that's been on my to-do list for many years. Nice. And each new painting I've done, I've thought, oh, good thing I didn't do my book yet because I want this piece to be in it. So, but sooner or later, you got to just sort of call it and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and let it out. Already, I've got like a few sort of placeholder pages in the design of the book. I'm like, this is a painting I'm planning for December. <laughs> um, yeah. But that, that really excites me. And uh, I recently acquired a cello, so I'm excited to learn to play some cello. Wow, nice. I've always wanted to learn it, and it looks really beautiful in my studio at the very least. And yeah, at the yeah. very most, I'd like to rock out because there's plenty of girls and guitars out in the world, and so sure. I want to be a girl with a cello. Nice. And uh, That's so and, rad. Yeah, it's really fun. And um, maybe... Um, sorry you cut out well. there for just a second maybe oh, yeah did you i'd like to maybe do some more music collaborations okay sweet i i did a song with isaac chambers last year which was really fun and i uh, did one with uh, david block for the human experience uh, quite a few years ago way back and that was also really fun so yeah there's like that's always been a passion it's always taken the back burner to my art so i feel like the time is coming for music to sort of step up again nice um yeah i think that's you know just ongoing I, I put in a garden last year for the first time in 15 years and that just felt really good so that's sort of a new creative expression as well yeah and a whole lot of work wow yeah I think there was like i didn't paint for two and a half months over like planting and prepping season so did you get a good harvest out of that decent but it was we're new on this land as of a year ago so learning the sun and where, yeah, like, where the goes. good spots for what so yeah. yeah definitely learned a lot and ate a lot of good food and there's still lots of greens in there um we're pretty it's pretty temperate here on the sunshine coast so we'll get greens uh most of the winter out of the garden of the sort of winter greens and that kind of thing so it's, awesome. it's good in that way epic raspberry patch sweet <laughs> Um, so yeah, usually I close out and ask what advice you would give to, to younger artists. And I know you've dropped so much, uh, insight here and I'm really grateful for that. But if, if you could close on, maybe you could give your younger self, uh, some advice. What would you, what would you give that younger self? Mm. There's, there's probably a few things um, and maybe not specifically to me because I, I definitely acknowledge the privilege that I sit in with having been encouraged in my art path. And I acknowledge that that's not normal. Um, most people have trauma around art making in some way. Mm -hmm. And most people were told not to in some way. And if it's at a young enough age that they were told not to by various voices in their life, they've probably internalized that voice and it's become their own voice and they can't differentiate where that came from. And so they just think I'm bad at art mm -hmm. and that's just how it is. Um, so operating from that 
from that perspective and speaking to those children or the, the children within the adults now that might be interested in pursuing art to whatever degree. Um, I, I'd say number one is just play, just play and have fun and just cut yourself some slack. Like really find your, your, your perfect balance, your, your medicine point in that, in that, duality or in that paradox of take it serious enough to follow through mm -hmm. to like take it serious enough that you're going to sit down with some art supplies and make some art and not just procrastinate on it but but hold it loosely enough that you're not going to hinge your self-worth on whether you can accurately depict the multi-dimensional fractal of your vision yeah 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 onto the onto the paper in half an hour you know it's it's so simple but it's so important to remember that art takes time mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time and if you want something to really be detailed and accurate and meticulous it's going to take a really lot of time like so much dedication and so being willing to go on that journey being willing to not like your art at some parts of the process being willing to sit with it regardless mm -hmm. of whether you like it or not or whether it looks like you wanted it to look being really open to the mystery of what that art is becoming rather than demanding it to be something that you think it should be. So like your weekend that you had planned yeah, that totally got derailed by other, by another need, like really be open to it looking completely different. And maybe your style even looks completely different than you think it's going to look because we all go to museums or we see art online and we think that's impressive. That's beautiful. I love that art. That must be what good art looks like. And then inevitably we sit down at the kitchen table with our, you know, our new sketchbook and we're like, I'm going to make some art that looks like that. Yeah. And then it doesn't look like that. Right. Because only you can make art that looks like you, like right. your art. And only that person could make art that looks like their art. So really being willing to be surprised by your own style. Mm -hmm. is so key and and it's it's okay to mimic and experiment and 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 learn from other people's styles but really allowing your own style to shine through so we gather tools from other artists but don't stop there you know, if you see somebody on the dance floor and they do this cool arm move that you like yeah. you like can try to emulate that but don't stop there yeah do like keep going and how can you now make that your own right it's it's about adapting it's about culture and culture the whole purpose and definition of culture is to to grow and evolve and to spread and to transform and so allow that in your own art making also i'd say for for young artists or beginner artists 
Just because you love making art does not mean that it needs to be your career. We do our art and ourselves a great disservice when we start putting demands on it that it needs to pay our bills. And then it ceases to be fun and playful and experimental and cathartic. And it becomes a chore and a job and something we need to commodify. And by all means, if, it, if you have the mind for that and if people are, like, want to buy your work, let that be a natural progression. But to start out and say, okay, this is like, I'm going to be an artist and it's going to support me. And you quit your job and you take that leap of faith. That's very brave. Right. But you're also making demands on your creativity that creativity in its most fundamental, innate essence is an unleashed wild beast. And all of a sudden you're like, give it a poodle haircut and put it on a leash and paint its toenails and you say, okay, now you're going to do what I tell you to do. Yeah. It's like, no way I'm, I'm out of here. This, you know, like, and you might find that your inspiration will leave in that way if we start putting too many demands. And so if you do feel like you want to transition to that, I would suggest maybe see if you can take your, your serving job or your whatever your accounting job or whatever it is, see if you can go down to three days a week. So you have another three days to make art and then you have a day that you still have to take off right. or something like find, find a balance that you can create space and time in your life to make your art, but that you're not, that you're still getting some income. Like this whole, like, don't quit your day job thing. I think it's like, there's something to that. Yeah. Don't quit your day job 100%. or don't quit your night job or whatever it is, but don't, don't keep working. Like if you do want to dedicate time and you do want to like have this become a way of life, you have to quit part of it. So you right. still do need to make some leap of faith because if you're working 40 hour week or more, you're not going to have much time or energy to make art and art takes time and energy. Yeah. So it's sort of this like balance point, but really like take your time in making it a career move um, but then when you do, or if you do let it happen organically and reach out, there's a lot of, there's a lot of expertise and a lot of like, ask people for help. I've got uh, some, um, little Instagram videos that I answer a lot of business questions. You can find them if you scroll way back mm-hmm. and, uh, that's, that's, can be helpful. There's tons of articles online. There's forums, there's, you know, just find it i've got some q a on my website like there's there's lots of um tried and true things you can do and lots of uh, wisdom that other people have gleaned and you can really sort of cut to the chase to a certain extent Um, but mostly it comes down to like do it so it's still make it's still fun like 100 i i don't personally do commissions because it turns it into a chore right and then I end up not, it takes me way longer. I end up not really liking it because it's somebody else's vision. I can't listen to my own intuition and like go off on a tangent. Right. And then I don't, I'm not pleased with it at the end. So I want to charge less and then they're not happy because it doesn't look like my other work. So it's just like, I learned years and years and years ago. Don't do that. Yeah. And so I just don't do that. Yeah. My rule for commissions is, uh, five words or less and I'll do my best. (laughs) That's perfect. Yeah. I like that. Um, well, sweet. That That is really solid advice. And uh, I'll echo that and just say, I, I know I've said it a bunch on this podcast, I'm sure, but I, I quit my day job too early. Like I'd been painting for 
a year and a half or something. Mm. And I actually quit it to go to the Tori Superiori uh, okay. <laughs> retreat. They were, I was like, I can take this vacation, right? And they were like, eh. I was like, see ya. Um, <laughs> in hindsight, um, I'm really glad that I went to Italy. I think I made the right move. So forget everything I just said before that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, you need to have you need to have a little bit of income, if if you're just starting out, you need to have something else, or else mm -hmm. you get. I found myself afterwards being stressed and just like you know for a couple months there, like going full wook mode, full wook mode. But uh, yeah. I think that once you are disciplined enough and you've had enough experience and you you don't necessarily have to treat it like a job, but you need to treat it like some kind of devotional thing where you're there most days. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I just wanted to echo that. Thank you for that awesome yeah. advice. Yeah, and in that time too, like you need to organically build an audience that doesn't just immediately happen just because you look at some successful painter that's painting at the same festival that you happen to be painting at right. and you're like sweet they're like making a go of it and they're they're teaching they've got like online workshops and selling like you can't just start from from no no audience right and so knowing that that happens over time it really it it's really takes a lot of diligence and patience and um and then also um, just really, if you're painting for what you think sells, you're like, okay, well, kittens and sunsets are really in, so I'm going to paint a kitten in front of a sunset. And so you're painting what you think is going to sell. Or like, okay, the whatever skulls are in right now, I'm going to paint some skulls. That's, that, that's cool. People are into it. But if that's not what is authentic and inspired by you, people won't actually even notice it. I believe, I, I believe that when people connect with, with my work, it's because they connect with the authenticity that is coming through my work. Yeah. It's because there's like, if you believe in um, the like spiritual imprinting or like the, um, the, 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 the idea that there is an imprint on everything that's created, that's energetic so if you taste food, you ever see that movie, uh, like Water for Chocolate, like an old Mexican movie, amazing. But it's like yeah. this idea of like this woman, she's her, her beloved is marrying her sister. So she's making the wedding cake at their wedding and she's sobbing into the wedding cake. And then they serve it at the wedding after the ceremony and everybody's eating the cake and sobbing. <laughs> so that kind of thing. It's right, like right. you can feel if somebody put love into something, like maybe you can't feel it in like a toaster oven or something like that necessarily, but you can feel it in food. If somebody For loves sure. it, like For it sure. can, if you know, and something can be delicious and they can be cranky when they made it and sure. But if you're moved by something, like I, I feel like if you're moved by one of my paintings, that means that I was successful in getting out of the way. Yeah. You did your job. The better it is, the less I can take credit for it. So that's what people respond to. That's what people connect with because they stand in front of that painting and it becomes a mirror to their own authenticity. 
And that's what they're moved by. They're moved by their own existence, by their own perception and their own stories that they embed into the authenticity of the painting. So if you're just painting a kitten in front of a sunset, because you think, like, unless you love kitten in front of a sunset and people will be like, oh my God, I didn't know that I need this painting. I need this painting. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And like, I'm moved by it. But paint what comes through. Paint what makes you feel alive. Don't just paint, you know, whatever. I can don't give a lot of like, examples, but don't, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Don't just paint what you think is like trendy at the festival right, scene. Right, because right. that's what, what so-and-so is painting down, down the way from you yeah paint what's inspiring to you it doesn't matter what it is right yeah and i think for me personally like the best way to do that is just to like throw paint on the canvas at first then in as thin layers as i can manage at first and then just <laughs> mess around because like your your organism holds that it holds the truth it holds that authenticity and if you just mm -hmm. if you just mess around long enough, you'll have your own style. You know, you'll have yeah. you'll have something that's uniquely and yours. And then it'll change. Yeah, and then that <laughs> will change. And then that's the beauty of it too. I'm I I love artists whose whose style changes every you know five ten years or something like that. Like you know, Picasso had all those periods he went through. And mm -hmm. I think about like recording artists like like David Bowie or. Uh, um, yeah, just I just dig that, you know, style to style, but it's still uniquely theirs. And it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, um, thank you so much for for all all your wisdom and your insights, and for sharing time and energy with me here today. It's been a real pleasure uh, talking with you. Ah, oh, you too, Andrew. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Autumn. Um, so, tell people where they can find you. Um, we can do YouTube website, all that. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Autumn Sky Art. Uh, that's uh, S-K-Y-E, like the island. You can find me on Facebook uh, as well, Autumn Sky Art. My website, surprise, autumnskyart.com. <laughs> um, YouTube, the same. And there are videos forthcoming. You can find me on Patreon. Um, and I think that's it. I'm, I've not jumped on the the whatever TikTok. The Twitter or the TikTok. <laughs> I couldn't even remember it. Like that's how much I don't want to be on it. It's like, like right. honestly, yeah. I have not jumped on that because I want less time on social media. Um, 100%. Even though I, I sort of missed the boat on Instagram and I got on it a little late. So I've had to really organically grow my audience there. And so I'm hoping I'm not also missing the boat on the inevitable TikTok revolution that I, yeah. Well, I you got to take really wanna... a ton of videos for TikTok. <laughs> Yeah, and then you gotta like edit and like overlay and you like point at words. I like, hate I that. Just can't. I, hate I that can't term. be bothered. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Cool. So instead, I'm just gonna keep on keeping on on Instagram as sort of my main spot that yeah. I try to share um, almost once a day, sometimes a couple times a day, and sometimes not for a few days. Um, and then, uh, yeah, which gets shared to Facebook and all that jazz. But mostly just, oh, I also have um, on my website. You can find a newsletter which has um, my updates of new paintings and workshops and retreats and those kind of things. Awesome. Well, thank you for the, the beautiful podcast, Autumn. And yeah, once again, great talking with you. 
I'd love to have you back on at some point. And uh, yeah. hopefully we'll catch up in real life sometime soon. Yeah, come on up to BC if you're inspired to travel up the coast. And I, I would love to spend some time in Colorado too. I feel like BC and Colorado are sort of like same vibe separated at birth kind of twins <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. really a similarity there and even in the landscape we got the ocean but then you've got the red rocks so we can maybe trade a little bit for a little bit yeah and uh and but a really similar community as well and um some of my favorite people in the whole world live down that way so it's really um one day i'll be down there soon sweet well thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time Thank you again for listening to another episode of RTAF Podcast. If you are interested in supporting the Patreon, that address is patreon.com slash RTAF Podcast. And I want to thank all my patrons. You guys keep this engine running. I couldn't do it without you. Go over there and check out the tiers I have available. Includes video, uh, guest suggestions, uh, patron-only posts, and some merchandise. Thank you again for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. Do all those little things that help get RTAF into the consciousness of more and more people. Shout out!